I don't know about you, but those pictures still bring a lot of emotion for me. And my guess is, for those of us who are old enough in the, in the room, we remember exactly where we were and what was happening on that morning. Maybe there was a TV around and we began to see the reports, or there was someone that we love who gave us a telephone call for me. I was in my office in Clarksville, Georgia, in the church that we, uh, that we served at there, and Leanne called and said what was happening, and then called again and said a second plane. And, and you know, it was in those moments, my guess is for you, similar, that, that you just wanted to be with your loved ones. It wasn't that necessarily I thought I could protect them from all this, but I just wanted to be present. And so I went home to Leanne and Lauren, who was one year old then, and, and I just wanted to know that they were okay, and we watched the reports coming in. And there was so much uncertainty on that day. Why had this happened? What was going on? And I think we all began to have a sense that our world was changing in front of our eyes, but my guess is most of us did not know exactly what was changing or how much would change because of that day. That we would enter two wars, that 4,424 American soldiers would die in those wars, and that 31,952 would be wounded, and countless others would experience the trauma that continues even into today because of what they saw and heard and did and were exposed to. I don't think we knew that. I don't think we knew some of the physical and psychological effects that would continue from that day until this for many of the people who were there in Manhattan and at the Pentagon and who had family on Flight 93. I don't think we knew all of that. We didn't know the security measures that would be put in place. That basically whenever we go and we're part of a large group of people, we have to walk through a metal detector and somebody looks in a bag or a purse every time we go to one of those kinds of events. And they serve even today as reminders of the danger, of the unsafety that we find ourselves in in our culture. Most of us had never heard of Al-Qaeda or Osama bin Laden or all the successors that include ISIS that are a threat today. We didn't know about those things, but we know today. And so 15 years later, we have all of those reminders and we have to deal with the questions that are still there. And so today we begin a new series of lessons as a church that I'm calling Refuge. And we're thinking together about how we as Christians live in a world that is unsafe. And it's really unsafe for lots of reasons. Some of the things that we talked about that are related to that tragedy. But we can find insecurity in, in ways that we feel unsafe for lots of reasons in our culture, the things that we're exposed to, the, the fact that we face sickness and death and financial insecurity and all the things that may come at you today that make you feel unsafe. How do we as Christians respond to that? Now our world says, hey, from different sources, we can keep you safe. We can provide security for you. Now there's always a cost, right? I mean, there's cost in terms of taxes, there's a cost in terms of lost rights, there's a, a cost for everyone who says that they can keep us secure. But here's the question, can they do it? Can they really keep us safe? And sometimes, yes, they can do some things that make us feel more safe and make us more safe, but in the end, we know that promise can never be complete. And so I want us as Christians to turn to Scripture for the next three weeks to think about how we live in an unsafe world and how we can find refuge. And to do that, we're going to turn to three different psalms, one each week, because the psalms were written for a group of people 
who faced an unsafe world. A group of people who were surrounded by enemies and faced the same kinds of personal enemies of sin and death and sickness that we face today and responded with faith. And so I think their words speak to us in a powerful way. And today to begin that, in this first week of the series, we're going to turn to Psalm 118. If you'd like to turn there with me. Psalm 118. It's really the last of five psalms that were, are consecutive in the psalms. So you can read back five psalms, and this is the last one, that speak to the people of Israel on the day of Passover, on that Passover celebration. They were all read. This was the last one. And they speak to this people who were set free from slavery, but then endured 40 years of the wilderness and what that was like and how God was present even in those difficult moments. And so it begins this way, Psalm 118, verse 1. The psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And that sets the context for the entire psalm. Now, when we read that word love, it translates an important Hebrew word, hesed, that you see. But it's not just love. It's really more than love. Now, we use that word in lots of different ways, romantic love and family kind of love, the love we have for our friends, the love we have for our favorite food or a car. Okay, but this is a specific kind of love that's all about God's love, the kind of love that God has when he chooses a people and he, he creates what was called a covenant and this was an agreement. This is God saying, listen, I'm calling you into a relationship with me, and this is what, what it's going to look like. And then God's saying, I will be faithful. I will be faithful to the promises that I make today. And so that faithfulness was God's love to his, his people. His loving kindness, sometimes it's translated. God's... Um, unfailing love it's sometimes translated so all those things are packed into this one word that speaks to the way that God relates to his people the people of Israel and even today to the church and so the rest of the psalm needs to be understood in the light of God's faithfulness to his people now then there's a little section of praise that sounds a lot like a hymn and I want us to jump down to verse uh, 5 the psalmist said, when hard-pressed, when I was in a moment of crisis, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. There's a sense of God's presence. And then that last line, what can mere mortals do to me? What can mortals do to me in the face of God's power? That's a good question for us to ask. Because sometimes we think mortals have a lot of power over us. They can threaten us. They can make us afraid. They can cause us physical damage. They can kill us. And the psalmist says in the face of that, what can mortals do? They can take your mortality. They could kill you. But in the face of that, the psalmist says, God is still stronger. Because God stands above our mortality. Because God stands above life and death. And he can give life even in the face of death. That's the message of this psalm. Skip down to verse 8. It's a great line. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The world is filled with powerful people who will say, let me 
keep you safe. Here's the price, but let me keep you safe. And we can look around, and, and man, some of them have some powerful things that can help us be safe. But the psalmist says in the face of that, it is still better to trust in God. Because of all the things that humans can provide to keep us safe, God is still God, and he stands above all of that. And his promises are secure, and he will be faithful to those promises. And so it is still better to trust in God than it is any human being, because God is always more secure. Now, maybe you've got some pushback on that today. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I hear what you're saying, James, and I understand God's power, but here's my problem. I trusted in God when my parent, spouse, child, friend was sick. And I prayed, and I asked God to bring healing, and it didn't come. Or when, when my job was threatening cutbacks, and I knew my job was on the line, I prayed, and I asked God, God, please let me keep this job. My family is dependent on me making this money to survive. And I lost that job. So how do we deal with this God who is all-powerful, who sometimes doesn't act in what feels like my best interest? How does that make me feel secure? How does that give me refuge in an unsafe world? We're not the only ones who ask that question. And in fact, the psalmists asked questions like that all the way through. They were very honest about their questions for God. And part of the answer in this psalm comes as we drop down to verse 17. And this really is the, the heart of the psalm. I will live, I will die, I will, sorry, let's start over. I will not die, but live. And will proclaim what the Lord has done. There's a sense in which the psalmist is saying, you know what? There's all these things that are at work against me, but I know that in the end, I will live and not die because of the power of God, and I will proclaim that. And we as Christians say, yeah, we get that. Because we know that we're going to face death. There's no getting around that. But even in facing death, we have hope. We have hope in the life that is to come because of the power of God. And this psalm points forward to that. And here's what I mean by that. If we look in verse 23, these words might sound more familiar than any other words in this psalm. Verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And we go, wow, that sounds familiar. And it's probably not familiar because we've read Psalm 118 that many times. It's probably more familiar because of the Gospels. The first three Gospels record this story where Jesus says, hey, there was a man who owned this land. And he went to a far-off place, and he hired some people, and he let them farm that land. Stewards. And he sent some of his servants back, who's still in the foreign land, sent them back to check on the land. And when these stewards, when these guys saw them coming, they don't want to report back, so they killed them. And it happened again. More servants. They killed them. Happened again. They killed them. 
And finally, he says, if they won't listen to the servants, then they'll listen to my son. And he sent his son. And these men saw the son coming, and they knew who he was, and they knew that he was the one set to inherit this land one day. And they said, he is the heir to this land. If we kill him, it will be ours. And so they did. And then Jesus quoted these words from Psalm 118. And the religious leaders who were sort of plotting against Jesus already, they knew that he was talking to them. And they were infuriated. So what was Jesus saying that day? He was saying, listen, even back hundreds of years ago when the psalm was written, The message was, God was at work doing something powerful. God was at work doing something that everyone needed to know about, and the religious leaders won't get it. What God is building on, the cornerstone, everyone's going to say, that's not God. That's not really God at work. That's not going to do anything for you. And God's going to make that the heart of his plan. And so from the beginning, God was planning for Jesus. God was at work in Jesus. And so even in this psalm, written long before he came, it points forward to our refuge, the only real strength that we have, Jesus. And God is still at work today. God is still planning for Jesus to return so we can have eternal life. So we hear this, and I think the truth that we need to get from this is that security is found in seeking God. Now, we're not good at looking for security in God, right? We want tangible stuff. We want things that make us feel safe. And sometimes our faith doesn't do that. We like people who have guns and tanks because we can see that, right? It's in front of us. It looks powerful. It looks like it could keep us safe. And we talk a lot about in this election cycle about national security and homeland security. And those things matter. We shouldn't ignore all that. But here for us Christians, we have to think, Beyond just that. That as important as that is, it is not our ultimate security. Because sometimes those things fail. We don't like to think about this either. In 1922, the British Empire was at its peak. The British ruled, governed, had great influence over about 13 million square miles of the earth's surface. That's 25% of the land mass in the whole world. 20% of the world's people were governed by the British. At the height of their power, it seemed invincible. It seemed like it would last forever. A hundred years later, what's left of that? Empire's gone. Some influence over the commonwealth, but basically they govern themselves. The United Kingdom is now the fifth most powerful nation that pales in comparison to the power of the United States and to Russia and to China. Now, I don't say that to make any prophecy about the United States. I don't know how that's going to play out. But what I know is this. 
Even if 500 years from now, the United States is still the most powerful nation in our world, Christians should still trust in God's security over the security of any nation. Because it's always incomplete. It's never anything like the power of God at work. So we have this choice to make. Am I going to trust God or am I going to trust in all the stuff that I can see that seems powerful? Because true security, real security, is found in trusting God and seeking God out. Because it's in God that we see all the stuff that the world says it can do to us. It's an empty threat. What can mortals do? In the end, nothing. Well, they could kill us. But the truth is, that's nothing itself. Because we have eternal life. We have a God who has invited us into a relationship with him that lasts forever. You know, one of the names that they gave to Jesus is Emmanuel, right? God with us. And so we have this message that in the midst of sickness, God with us. In the midst of death, God with us. In the midst of struggle, God with us. In the midst of a national disaster, God with us. In the midst of eternity, we can be confident that we will be in God's presence, God with us. Seeking God. That's our only real security. God, we look back 15 years later and it's still painful. We still want safety in what feels like a really unsafe world at times. So we pray for you to be at work in us. To give us the security that only comes from you. God, help us to trust in you. Trust in your power. Trust in your promises. Trust in the faithfulness that the people of Israel proclaimed so long ago. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the promise is here for you as well. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and God is inviting you into a relationship with him so that you can be confident that you'll be with him forever. If you're ready to commit to that relationship, to put your faith in him, to repent of your sins, and we're all sinners, and then to be baptized into him, we'd love to talk with you about that decision, either during this next song or after the service. Or maybe you want to be a member of our church. You made that decision. You've done all those things before. And now you want to commit to this group of people to serve together. If you've made one of those decisions, let us know. Come forward as we sing our invitation this morning.